everybody, and welcome to another episode of the NBA DFS Today podcast with Sports Ethos. I am your host, Keith Cork, and I am joined by my co-host here, Mr. Horace Carmani, as well as our guest of honor tonight, uh, which I'm excited to talk to, Mr. Dan Palio. Dan, uh, you do some work with Rotoballer for DFS, betting, uh, season-long fantasy, all that good stuff. Uh, and you actually were the named the 2021 uh, Fancy Sports Writers of America Basketball Writer of the Year. Uh, so that was exciting, man. I was actually with Rota Baller at the time that you won that. Um, you know, obviously stoked for you. So, uh, you know, for people that may not be familiar with your work, can you tell us a little bit about your background, you know, covering uh, specifically basketball and also uh, just DFS? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, thanks for, first of all, thanks for having me on tonight. I'm really thrilled to be joining you. Um, uh, yeah, my, my background is mainly in DFS is kind of where I got my start. Um, and actually basketball one is one of the first sports I was really writing about consistently, like blogging about, and then kind of got my first uh, kind of job in the in the business and the industry. And so it's really my kind of my first love. Um, I do cover NFL and baseball, and I'm kind of just DFS all year round. But, um, you know, basketball is, is definitely like my favorite. And, um, you know, one, one I like to write about the most and cover the most stuff. Uh, so yeah, I do a little bit of everything. Um, sports betting. I have my own kind of sub stack that I'm going right now too. People want to check it out um, where I do some daily betting picks and things for, and, and like a DFS core, kind of a little bit of everything. I've, I've found that, you know, if you're following the NBA on a daily yeah. basis, you know, you want some action on the nightly games. You want some DFS, you want to throw some profits in and you're mm-hmm. probably, you probably have a season long fantasy team too. You know, <laughs> if you're, if you're total, you know, NBA fan like a lot of us are. So why not do all of it, right? Yeah, and I've got my uh, my hand in all those good from cookie jars too, Horace. I know uh, I'm not going to try to step on you. I'm not having to let you speak here, but uh, I have my hand in all those cookie <laughs> jars, you know, putting some bets out there, uh, putting some prop bets. I was on fire in the month of November uh, until like the last two or three days, and then uh, it's been, I would say, an okay start to the to the December. But, uh, you know, yeah, we always want to, if you're following the game, I mean, you have knowledge other people don't have, uh, you can find those you know, areas where we can kind of take advantage. So I appreciate it. Uh, but, yeah, I'm excited to talk about some DFS with you, man. Uh, I know you're a Cleveland Cavaliers fan, too, and they just had a, a good win. Uh, so that was nice. Uh, we, did you grow up in Cleveland? or? Uh, so I grew up in western Pennsylvania, but only three miles away from the Ohio border. And mm-hmm. my little podunk town was strategically halfway between Pittsburgh and Cleveland. So it's an odd mix of fans. Um, people like myself, we, we kind of adopted, even though I'm like Steelers and, and Pirates and Penguins, we adopted the Cavs for basketball because there's no there's no basketball team in Pittsburgh um and so yeah I've been a Cavs fan ever since the days of Craig Elo and Mark Price and Brad Doherty and Hot Rod Williams you could I can name all of them and uh <laughs> Michael Jordan broke our hearts how many years yeah in a row. <laughs> I always wear Bulls. this wasn't just for you I promise I always wear Bulls gear I represent I'm no worries no Harris, Harris can vouch for me you get my Raptors hat alongside it then yeah. <laughs> I love when the Bulls play the Raptors because we have some good conversations with yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, the Raptors, I love the Raptors. They, you know, they beat the Cavs this year. They're so tough. They're tough. Um, and, and the Bulls, I mean, I, I was pulling for your Bulls, but they're kind of they're kind of falling yeah, apart, man. They don't. I don't know what's going on with them there, but they, I thought they'd well, be better this year. But I, I, A lot of people are saying second, uh, you know, worst adjusted strength of schedule, and I agree with that, but at the same time, they need to be better than they've been. It's, they're I've weird. Every- yeah, it, they like beat good teams, but then like lose all these bad teams. There's like one of those teams you can't yeah. figure out. I hate yeah. betting on them because like yeah. you, just, you just don't know who's going to show up. Yeah, I, I, I agree with that. 
as I say, without Lonzo, they just seem a little bit lost. It's just one of those yeah. where he clearly changed around their entire defensive identity last year. Oh, and yeah. Just without him being there, that Dosun moves just clearly isn't ready to he's be not. like your prime time point guard. So it's just one of those things where you're kind of forced to have Demar run point, and it's just an odd, yeah. odd move. Yeah. Yeah. I got to have you guys on my bulls pod. Jeez. Uh, but anyways, you guys are here for DFS. This is the DFS strategy session number two. If you haven't listened to number one, I had Greg Ehrenberg on to talk a little bit about GPP versus cash bulls earlier uh, a couple weeks ago. I uh, got sick there. We we're going to do this with Dan earlier, but got a little sick, but I'm happy to do it now. Uh, this is number two. We're going to talk about optimizers, DFS optimizers versus handcrafting lineups. Uh, we're going to try to stick to that topic a little bit, but uh, obviously we're going to also hit on some general you know, strategy stuff. So, um, you know, I'm going to try to pepper you, Dan, with a little bit some questions. And, and Horace, you can jump in if you have a question just to kind of follow up on what I had. But um, just to kind of, you know, break us off into this topic here. Um, do you, Dan, do you go, when you're building your lineups, do you first go and look at guys that you like, you know, just based on like, you know, this is a good game environment. This is a guy I'm targeting because of the salary, whatever. And then you lock those guys and then use an optimizer to fill in the rest. Do you use an optimizer at all? That's a great question. So, um I'm honestly, and this is part of like where I'm at now. I've transitioned to where I'm I'm playing fewer DFS lineups a night. I mean, there was a time years ago where I was playing a bunch of lineups, and because I have so many other things going on, profits and and mm-hmm. other things going on that, and, and plus just the nightly like craziness of the the league, right? How how crazy it is the last hour and being a dad and being having to yes. make dinner and put kids <laughs> to bed. I'm sure a lot of people out there can can resonate with the, the whole dad life thing. I've mm-hmm scale it down to where like I can play my cash build. I can play two or three, four, five, maybe at the most like single entry kind of lineups. And then I'm, I'm content with that. Cause I also, you know, I get my action to other players through and exposure to other players through prop bets and through, you know, some of the other stuff going on. So, um, I, I will use the optimizer, I guess, strategically, but I'm not someone who relies on it a whole lot. I do a lot of hand building and, um, I've, I've kind of got comfortable to where like, I feel like, at a certain point, you can just kind of, you can use the projections and the optimizer, but you're constantly optimizing in your brain too. Like, as you see yeah. the news come out, you're like, all right, I'm sliding that guy in. Who can I, you know, it's like your brain's like, my brain's kind of my optimizer in a way, I guess. Yeah, no, I agree. And, uh, you know, Horace, I'm going to get your thoughts on this in a second here. But yeah, I always put handcrafting in kind of like quotes here because, you know, no one truly like handcrafts. I mean, we yeah. all have access to, you know, projections and we have access to different data, which, you know, we're going to talk to you about here in a bit, Dan, because I know you have some uh, you know data that you were putting out there for a while about just different games and what that game, those game environments were like. And so we're looking at this stuff and, you know, uh, even though we might use something called an optimizer or, you know, have a starting point there, I think, you know, a lot of us kind of just use our brains and our gut feeling to, to kind of go from there. But Horace, I haven't asked you before, man, like, how do yeah. you feel about optimizers? Yeah. And I, and I think I've uh, kind of got my experience of being burned with them <laughs> pretty early on yeah. in my career in DFS. It was one of those where I think it's one of those where much like other uh, industries, other sports, I just think there's a lot of like beginner's luck that almost like comes into it and then the rest just kind of builds from it. So I think initially where you are kind of going with your gut feel and everything that comes with that, and then you start to move into uh, looking into things like the optimizer side of things, it just, it's very easy to get sucked into that where you're constantly just trying to like, oh, I'm trying to min-max on, on this side over here and get yourself into a situation where you're almost like going against your own kind of basketball intellect by focusing way too much on the on the optimizer side of things so i think it's a great kind of starting point where you know you talk about you want to be you want to have that balance between being a contrarian versus actually seeing what the chalk is on on any given night and i just think the optimizer helps kind of get 
focus you on like, hey, these are clear, obvious areas where you may want to kind of start yourself off. And then yeah. from there, that's where, I mean, you got to make yourself different. And it, it comes from uh, your own kind of gut feeling and your own understanding of the game just from how much time you spent into it now. And if you guys, I mean, Dan, let me throw this to you. If you use, use something like, you know, projections or an optimizer or whatever, like Harris is saying, and it's pointing to something that you may not necessarily agree with. Is that something you're going to look at harder or are you just going to totally like disregard that information? I mean, obviously, I think you want to have more information rather than less information, right? Yeah, more. I mean, this is like this is the information age. Like We all have access to a ton of information. Sometimes you are stubborn about things and you're like, like last night, I was like, <laughs> I am not going to play Tyus Jones because I right. just I'm so dug in on Dylan Brooks and then it, things just blow up in your face. Mm -hmm. But um, I mean, there's sometimes like I, I like what Har said because he's like, you know, you there's good, the optimizer is going to point out spots that you want to aggressively target. And sometimes when guys are coming in at six and seven, eight X value, you're just like, you can't ignore that. Right. Um, but more than anything, you have to also watch these games. And when it's telling you, hey, you should play like Maxi Kleber or something, you're like, wait a second. Uh, let me look <laughs> at this game log. I've done uh, how many times have I done this before? Like I should have had my my alarm going off like Dylan Brooks chalk like that. That's going to taste bad. And I didn't. <laughs> You know, and so, you know, you do have to, you do have to have that knowledge to go with it, I think. And too many people just said it and forget it. For a long time, guys were just like, I want to find the best projections so I can click the opto button and, and print money. And it's never that simple. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. it's just, it just never yeah. is, you know, it's not going to, you're not going to, I don't care what site you're subbing to and what optimizers or projections you have. It's never simple as set it and forget it. Um, you have to be able to make those tweaks to it. Yeah, absolutely. You have to be, you know, paying attention up to a lot because you did mention, uh, Dan, you know, obviously all that late breaking news and stuff. And, and you know, Horace, I know you were with me in those discord, you know, in Sports Ethos discord talking about the late breaking stuff. And, you know, we're going to be eventually fingers crossed, guys, we are going to get a live show out there up to lock at some point this season. We're st still building this team back up yeah. uh, from last season. But um, but yeah, Horace, talk to me a little bit about, you know, uh, how important is it, you know, between you know, getting these guys swapped, you know, an hour before lock, as opposed to what you start off with. Do you feel like you cling too much, like Dan said, to guys, or, or do you feel like it's easy to like let those guys go as, you know, different value opens up? I think it's it's the same thing where you have a certain set of values that you've set a lineup with, right? Like it's, it's one of those where you can get sucked into, you know, making those changes at the last second because something looks sexy and be able to make that. But right. like I've got you'll get burned just as often on the other side as well. Right. So I think it just comes down to you should you need to have a consistent set of principles that you actually work with. And I know we're going to be talking a lot about kind of overall DFS strategy. But really, I mean, if you've done the research, you've done the work and you can understand why you're going one way. It, to me, it needs to be something overwhelming on the other side for me to make that last minute swap or like clearly, you know, James Harden's gone out and all of a sudden I want to go ahead and jump on a backup. Sure, that those kind of things make sense. But by and large, I think you need to have a set of principles and stick to it. And that's going to lead you to more consistent success. One thing that I find when I'm, you know, when I'm playing like a large slate, like a 10 to 12 to 13 game slate is that, you know, I will cling to guys and I'm like, oh man, this guy is just, his salary is so good. And I'm so like sold on this is the guy I need to build my team around uh, that I sometimes I feel like, you know, because I, I typically just a um, full disclosure here, I typically quote unquote, handcraft my lineups. I have access to this information. I look at these things and I say, um, this, you know, this jives with my thought process. This jives with my gut. And I say, yes, this is my guy. Uh, and then I cling to that so hard sometimes that it's hard for me to let go. And then what, what happens is I miss on guys that, you know, 
uh, like there's so many different guys available on that those huge slates that you know I'll miss on some value somewhere because I want to get this guy in and I don't have the right salary to fit you know player Y and Z where I you know I have X and Y uh, I could have gotten Z in if I would have had X and you know Q uh, and so that that happens to me sometimes so I feel like you know there are times when an optimizer might help me when it, when I'm trying to make those decisions. So like, Dan, is that something that you run into sometimes, you know, where you, where you like just so sold on a guy that you're, you know, kind of ignoring or blind to another guy that's like, I feel like Jared Allen got me tonight. Like, yeah, I was so sold on my, like, I knew he was ruled in late. Right. So he was ruled in a little late. So just because as an example for the listeners out there ruled in late and uh, you know, we didn't know he was going to play. I knew there was a chance he could play. So I personally faded Anthony Davis. So I'm glad I did that. Obviously I got lucky there because he got the flu. Um, (laughs) But, uh, but you know, I didn't think the other side of that, whereas, you know, I could play Jared Allen and he had a huge game. So is that, do do you find yourself getting blind? by stuff like that all the time i mean yeah. i think everybody does <laughs> you would be you're probably lying if you're claiming that you know because we all get tunnel vision we all get locked in first of all we all have guys who we'd love to play because either we are fans of them or they're honored season long teams or they helped us win a tournament at some point and they're like locked in you know we have their we have our guys we do and we all have our spots right like everybody wants to attack charlotte with centers or everyone wants to attack you know we have our of our dvp spots People get, we all get locked into these spots, and it's easy to look at a slate. Like, I was just bored before the show, and uh, the first games it ended, and the, the second game I started, I was like, look, time to look at tomorrow. You know, let's make the dummy build. Yeah. And, you know, and you're <laughs> like, all right, here we go, Claxon. Really, like, you're clicking your guys in that you like, you know, and the spots you like. And it's easy to do that and then just kind of get stuck in that. But, like, ours was saying, like, the, the other opposite of that is guys who always want to put in the last the last guy, the last breaking news. Right. 10 minutes for a lock, like, oh, no, so-and-so is out. Like, I'm going to pivot off to all these guys I liked earlier to all these late-breaking guys, which can be a trap, too. It's such a it's such a balancing act between, like, you know, like, I don't know about you guys, and I'm up at, like, 5 or 6 a.m., and I'm writing articles, and I'm researching, and, like, you have these, like, you know, this dummy builder, you have all these guys you want to play, and then, of course, 2 or 3 o'clock, news dump comes in, and you're like, all right, everything's changed now, or, <laughs> and, and then there's some stupid late-breaking thing that, you know, Giannis is sitting or something, and you're like, here we go, and then you completely forgot all these good spots that you were looking at at 7 a.m. that morning. And, of course, some of those guys are still going to go off, right? That Their situations didn't change. They just got, you know, the, the knocked down the value meter by the other guys uh, who projected better. Yeah. I found myself doing that kind of thing earlier where I switched to, I can't remember who it was, but I switched off of Bojan and I was like, I was like, oh. ah, Bojan might have a big game. And of course, you know, we were just talking about before we jumped on here, you know, he uh, had a huge, you know, 35, whatever, 40 point game. And, uh, and yeah, this is just, you know, it, it happens to me too. So Horace, sure. I'm assuming this is the same, same thing that you're experiencing. And, you know, how do you navigate that? Let me ask you that. Let me, let me shoot it to you this way. You know, how do you, what markers are you looking for when, when it's late-breaking stuff, when it's a guy that's, you know, going to be increased in value or maybe a guy decreases in value? You know, what makes you pull that trigger to swap off of a guy that you really liked earlier to a guy that you like now? Yeah, and, I mean, first of all, I really like what Dan said about, uh, you know, you're sometimes kind of working alongside the season-long guys that you've already been working with because, frankly, you're probably watching them a lot more during the yeah. season as well. So, again, the reality is there's way too many NBA games going on. and It's just <laughs> there's a certain point where on a 13-game slate, you're not going to be able to watch 13 full games, right? So it's just one of those where you start to pick and choose a little bit. But I think where that uh, where that navigation side comes in is, again, it has to be overwhelming for me to uh, really jump on it. So we're talking about like 
a, a seven, eight X opportunity has now come up with, yeah. uh, with one of these late breaking news where it's like, okay, cool. I'm going to make that pivot over here because I probably had another value guy that I was hoping to hit that kind of, uh, that kind of value where, you know, if it works out, maybe he's in my utility slot, it'll be the guy I, uh, I jump in with. And yeah, it, it's, it's a combination of those things, but as I said, you've, you've done the research. If you're up at 6 a.m. in the morning, like Dan is putting all that time in, <laughs> mm-hmm. you've obviously done good research to be able to get you to the level that you have. So kind of deal with that and definitely there's favorite guys and they're favorite for a reason. I remember a uh, fan used to send out those emails uh, kind of showing your yeah. stats of like who you've picked the most. And he used to have like when cousins was on the Sacramento Kings, I think I <laughs> ran them like 75, 80% of my lineups. For like nice. two reasons. One, I just like for some reason love having a guy who be playing the last game. Yeah, but and, and the Kings always the late have, like, la- exactly the late hammer on slates. There's just something about it that always kind of calls to me. It's like a siren's call that I just <laughs> love that late hammer. I need to have a guy in that. And then just beyond that, I mean, if they've done well for you, you know more about the matchups. You're watching the games, and I think that's what it comes down to. You have to you have to watch the games and DFS way more than anything else. You have to. I gotta pause and give my uh, my brother here a shout out, uh, Sean. He does want to tell you, Dan, that uh, to thank you for your uh, draft guy because I did I did convince him. I, he said he's in my home league, and I'm like, you know, who, he's like, who do I who do I need to go to to uh, to to win this league or to have a chance in this league? Because he you know he's been struggling for a few years. It's keeper league, and I was like, you know, go check out Dan. You know, check out his stuff. He's he's really good. He just won that uh, you know writer of the year award. I, I think he's got some good uh, info there. So he wanted to thank you. So I wanted to go ahead and drop that in there. But uh, but for you, Dan. Yeah, absolutely. For you, Dan, uh, you know, same thing. I mean, are you looking for? So let me let me put it this way. If you know, I know that the, my earlier research has said this guy's going to do five, six X or he's, you know, it's a good spot for him. You know, I, I'm feeling pretty confident about that. And all of a sudden this you know, situation pops up, like Hara says, where I'm suddenly confident this guy's going to get seven or eight X. But I have to swap off of two of those five to six X guys and I I can't make it work. I mean, that's a really tricky situation. Like, what do you typically do? This do you do everything to fit that seventy-eight X guy, or do you stick with your original plan? So it's so tough because it, the timing of, of when it happens, mm-hmm. and and if you like, you, like there's certain times where you just feel so good about a build, and you're like, this is my build, and if something unless something crazy happens, I'm I'm locked into it for like cash mm-hmm. or whatever else. But then you have to consider ownership too, like especially with cash games, and you're like. You know, like I've used the Tyus Jones example, and I was, you know, he was like 70% owned or whatever last night. I did have Nemhard who went nuts, but like, yeah, I was like, oh, I can get away without Tyus. Like, I have these other guys locked in, and and he's 75% owned, and he goes off for 10x, and you're like, I'm drawn dead, you know, you're yeah. not cashing on DK with like 340 points, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know, I think it's like a case, it's a, like everything in here. I wish there was a, a more consistent answer, but it's like a case by case basis because. Mm-hmm. You have, you have, there's certain players you know, like these are floor players, these are ceiling players. You know, this guy I can probably fade because he's like, he's projecting at 7x, but he's 3-5, and like, okay, I can, if he scores 20 or 25, who cares? Like, I'm not like, I'm not in bad trouble there, but if it's like, I don't know, Bobby Portis or something, and, and Brooke Lopez is out, you know, and, and you're like, God, can I fade Portis? He's gonna, is he going to go for 40? <laughs> you know, someone like, like, like a situation where you're fading a ceiling versus fading a floor, um, it's a lot different. And here's the thing. Guys in NBA DFS are terrified to fade chalk because we see chalk hit all the time, right? And, <laughs> it, and so if you're playing in any kind of cash games or any real like small field stuff, like you almost have to have to follow most of yeah. the chalk, right? You can you're maybe playing like what two v two or three v three versus a lot of these guys in those tournaments if, on a real chalky night because no one's fading James Harden when Embiid's out or some kind of situation. Mm-hmm. Like no one's no one's doing that because they know mm-hmm. that's a 
it's a 70 or 80 point ceiling that you're you're gonna get burned on if he, if it hits yeah yeah and i do think you know and i'll throw this back to you harris but i do think you know when i do look at a slate i do change the kind of contests i play in just based on you know what i'm seeing out there so like dan's talking about you know if there's a situation where i see there's a clear pivot to me you know there's a guy that's going to have 40 to 50 percent ownership and you know i'm thinking well if i can beat a large field you know just by simply fading this guy and playing someone else that's going to score a similar or perhaps even better score then you know that's i'm going to play those large field gpps because that's mm-hmm. the that's the strategy right there right um whereas you know like dan's saying if it's maybe it's a three game slate and there's not really a whole lot of options out there. Just like, you know, we have tonight while we're recording. And um, so maybe I'm playing a smaller field there and I'm playing, I'm eating the chalk. I'm just going to eat the chalk and I'm going to hope that the last two guys on my roster are going to hit. So is that, is that kind of the same tact that you take or uh, do you end up playing the same, you know, kind of lineups and just playing or same kind of contest and just playing them differently? Yeah. And I, I mean, the slate definitely drives a lot of that. And we, you talk about margin of error that comes with, you know, the amount of games that are kind of going in there. And I was going to, Asked Dan about what he considers to be his uh, sweet spot as far as uh, you know slate size is concerned. So uh, we'll get you to that. It. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I mean, really, it's just all, all about, as you said, uh, being that balance between contrarian and not being, for lack of a better word, stupid <laughs> on some of the uh, some of the opportunities that are there. So yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to absolutely eat the chalk. But if you're seeing that it's going to be 50, 60 percent ownership, you definitely want to have that hedge because there's no real other way that you're going to be able to kind of find that self in. I know we were talking about DFS optimizers earlier, and I mean, it's just gotten to a point now where there's just so much analytics in this entire industry that you can't just you know, casually avoid X and X to happen. You have to uh, really account for that and, and get that hedge in, and that's where more lineups kind of come into it. Yeah, definitely. And um, so, Dan, you know, we are talking a little bit about like what makes, you know, and I know Harris had that question there. So let's ask let's let's ask Harris the question. Let's just go get that out of the way. Uh, so what is your preferred you know size of your uh, contest these days? I know you said you only do a few of uh, lineups. Well, yeah, I mean, so I really do enjoy like the the three max or the single entry stuff. Um, I, I used to do a lot of the the larger field stuff and the multi entry stuff. And like you said, uh, you have to really research the the pivots and the low ownership plays and you know, try to go over and under the field on guys. And for me, the, to simplify things to, to where I can play more consistently and still get all my content done and, like, my day is just, like, busy, man. Yeah. Um, I really do, like, I, I'm okay playing chalk. Like, I'm okay playing a, like, a, uh, I don't know, like, say it's a $12 single entry lineup. And you're like, hey, this is, like, basically my cash build, but I'm pulling these two or three guys out and I'm making two through three pivots. And it's like, I feel like the chalk is strong. If, if these chalk plays hit and a couple of my pivots at eight or ten percent ownership come in and, and hit ceilings, like hey, we're cashing or or we're you know we're pushing up towards the top. So uh, that's kind of my preferred size. I know ours said something about slate size too, right? Like yeah. to me, it's it's six to eight games, man. That's that's the sweet spot, mm-hmm. right? Like we get those on like Saturday, Sunday. Sometimes you might get them on a, a Monday. We always get the big what ten to twelve, thirteen on Wednesday, Friday, yeah. but like. Six to eight, man. For a while there, the NBA was doing that where they spread mm. it out. You were getting six to eight, like Monday through Friday, and that was great. But yeah. it doesn't seem that way this year. So, yeah, I can't. I don't really like the uh, like you know we've got the three game slate tonight. It's like it just feels like you're you got a lot of just redundancy. Everyone's playing the same guys, and it's yeah. just like it's just not that fun to me. But yeah, I, I like to, I typically like the the bigger slates. Uh, you know, I, I know you didn't ask me, Harris. Darn you! But uh, <laughs> no, I'm gonna answer anyways. Put it on. Uh, 
No, I do like the I do like the big mega slates because it gives you so many different options. I feel like for me at least, you know, I follow like I wouldn't say I follow every single team, you know, a lot. And I watch, um, but I probably watch three or four games a night. And so I know, you know, I would say at least half the league, you know, pretty well because I've at least watched them play, you know, five, six times this season. Um, so, you know, I do like those large field ones because I feel like I can pick and choose, you know, oh, this guy in this matchup, this is a, a great, you know, game environment for him. And, uh, you know, I want to ask Dan about that also. Let, let, you know, Dan, you used to put out these, uh, and I don't know if you still do, if you have, I haven't been seeing them on Twitter because I, I do still follow you on Twitter. I double yeah. checked before we get on here. <laughs> you just put out these charts. Uh, yeah, I still have them. But you still have them, okay? They're they're on my they're in my Substack, so I they're in your Substack. Of, yeah, so I put them kind of behind a paywall because I decided to yeah. do some of this stuff like on the side. But um, yeah, I mean, I still do I still do my game value model, and I have like a betting model that I both that I do. So I, I crunch those numbers every morning and update them. But yeah, I mean. So you want to talk about like what's all incorporated into it, like? Yeah. What? So I wanted, yeah, I wanted to ask you just basically, you know, what are we looking for here? Um, and from the DFS, you know, standpoint, I know that that models for betting also, but uh, in DFS, you know, it's it's kind of a tricky situation because it is betting. Obviously, you're putting yeah. money in and hoping to win money. Uh, but uh, but you know, from from a DFS standpoint, you know, what are what are we looking for to make uh, you know a good game environment for us? I mean, obviously. You know, there's some, there's the simple stuff, but you know, what all goes into that for you to, to create that game score? Sure. All right. So here's here's kind of how I build it out because there's a couple questions that I feel like people are always trying to answer. The one thing that I've taken out of the whole equation is the spread because I feel like people are constantly trying to to figure out blowouts and they're mm-hmm. almost impossible to predict. Yeah. I had mm-hmm. someone tell me this morning or not this morning before lock like I don't want to play too many Miami guys because I think they might blow them out. And I was like, Are you kidding me? Like, have you watched <laughs> Miami lately? Like, and then of course with Detroit goes on and win. Um. And what Miami lost to Memphis last night without Jaw? Like it's just really tough, right? Uh, we've seen we've seen teams that are like what Houston was. Houston beat Phoenix last week as like twelve point dogs. Like it just it's impossible. So I take the spread out of the equation. Obviously, we want you would love to see a game be competitive to the end because close games transfer over time. Starters are until the end. But I I have not found anyone who consistently can predict close games. Right? Mm-hmm. What we can predict are Things like pace, right? So we're looking at pace. Um, I do a pace projection for every game based on the team's um, pace pace of play uh, over the year, and then like a last ten games model because some teams obviously play faster, slower uh, over smaller sample sizes based on who's hurt, who's not. Maybe they just start ramping it up and playing faster for you know coaching changes or you know coaching strategy, whatever. So we have projected pace. And then I'm looking at offensive and defensive ratings mainly. These are these are stats you can pull right from NBA.com. And, you know, we're trying to measure what efficiency, like offensive efficiency, uh, how well do these teams score the basketball, and then how 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 uh, poor is their defense? How often do they allow, you know, other teams to score efficiently? And so you kind of create, like, a metric where we're looking at, like, offensive and defensive ratings. And then the totals last because – I mean, these things all kind of, from my experience, they end up driving the total anyways. But you want to see, like, does does the pace and the offensive and defensive efficiency match the total? Um, when sometimes it doesn't. Like, sometimes you'll see a total that's really inflated, and you're like, why is that inflated? Like, just these two teams have a reputation of being, you know, bad defensively, and that they don't add up. So the total factors in because Vegas is not dumb. They don't, They know what they're doing. But I, I like to do the math and see, like, 
do is it checking all the boxes and usually we see like four you see green across the screen you're like okay it's got pace we got good offensive players let's just say it's like i think we had like boston sacramento last week or something and it was like yeah we got pace we got good offenses we got pretty uh, but you know mediocre to below average defenses and a 230 something total like let's go right yeah yeah. Um, so, Harris, I mean, this sounds similar to, you know, I'm sure you look at these things, too. You know, is that what you're looking for generally? Is there anything we miss where, you know, we're, we're looking at these games and saying, oh, this is going to be a good game for us to play in DFS? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I'm totally on board with the uh, not focusing too much on the spread side of things, because, as you said, blowouts yeah. are hard to predict. And, and more so than that, it's I tried that. It's not, yeah, not easy. It's, <laughs> my crystal ball is still being polished. Yeah. Yeah. So it's one of those things. But um, it. I also find myself looking a, a little bit on kind of positional ranks only because I, I have the idea of like, hey, if these are going to be some of my pillar guys, you know, expensive studs that I'm looking at, where have I uh, specifically seen their matchup? What's uh, going to be, you know, the guy who's going to be defending the most often there? And then also on a on a level, I just like looking at consistency scores in terms of what their, their points have been over a period of time. So, you know, you have their average there. If they're really fluctuating on there, that's, again, where it goes back to that idea of us talking about, you know, the floor ceiling of someone who could do 7, 8x, but have they had opportunities before and not been able to get the kind of usage you're expecting? Or uh, do they have a tendency to uh, really kind of be a guy who can be incredibly streaky. So like those kind of things uh, come into play. But as far as overall games are concerned, I, I definitely look at much of the same stuff that Dan looks at and, uh, and a little bit on just um, like historical matchups between the two and what's, uh, what's been happening there. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, and I think, you know, there's, there's definitely some teams that, you know, it's easy to, uh, attack them, you know, at the center position. Like, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm pretty much always like that's one thing that I've been able to beat the field in most of the times is like, um, you know, the Spurs are terrible at defending the center position. The uh, even though people don't seem to catch on to that or haven't caught on to that yet, um, the Thunder absolutely dreadful at defending yep. the center position. Uh, and you know, everyone knows Charlotte and they'll attack Charlotte at the center position. But these other teams that people may not be aware of, so that's why I like those bigger slates, because then, you know, everyone's going, because Charlotte's, okay, Charlotte's probably on that slate. Everyone's going to go for that center playing in Charlotte, and I'm going against, this, for the center going against, you know, it, depending on who it is, going against the Spurs or the or the OKC Thunder. So um, I do like the fact that, you know, you look at positional, you know, rank and stuff like that. I think it's a hard thing to, um, it can be it can be erroneous data, data right? Because sometimes, yeah. uh with NBA basketball, it's so positionless. You know, mm-hmm. some people are marked at the center position, but they really play more like a power forward on the offensive end and a center on the defensive end. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that that just ex- expands to a whole bunch of different, like, scenarios. So um, I think you take that stuff with a grain of salt, definitely. But, yeah, yeah, I think it is important to look at it for sure. So, um, you know, any other general, you know, tips that have worked for you so far this season, Dan, on the DFS side, uh, you know, particularly with NBA, we do cover the NBA uh, only, but uh, you know, that you've you know seen any trends that have, have helped you win. Um, well, I mean, I was, I was just going to say, like, I, I really like the deep, like looking at deep DVP just to chime in on this last topic. Like, I think it's important. I think there's some people who claim it's not important and the whole positionless aspect is, is there of course, but like, you can't ignore it either. Like there's certain mm-hmm. spots that just continue to hit and you would be foolish to ignore that, you know, and you have to take everything. Like I, I try to calculate like, you know, uh, is this, are, are centers performing like two and three times better, you know, like what or you know, versus like, Oh, they're, they're getting two or three points more, you know, like there's certain spots that are just that much better. But uh, I mean, there's, 
honestly, it's one of those things where how how deep down the wormhole do you want to go? Because <laughs> you know, there's you can just keep pulling yeah. layers away. You can look like you said historical matchups, mm-hmm. right? Like, and sometimes you and obviously, what kind of player are you? Like, there's a lot of casual players who are like, I want to look at the projections. I want to look at you know some some digs totals and some things and like pull things together. I think projected ownership is is fun if you can have access to some projected ownership. Um, that's a pretty crucial thing. Like sometimes, depending on you know what site's putting it together, I don't know what time of night, day or night it's going to come out. But um, and, and obviously, if you play enough DFS, like you can have you use your intuition and be like, obviously this guy's chalk today. Like every site's written him up, and all everywhere we're seeing is you know chalk, chalk, chalk. Here's good to me the chalk, just to to make those pivots. And there's just there's just certain guys that you could play. Like I know every night, like like I'm just going to play Pascal game every night because. Mm-hmm. Siakam because he's that good and if he's <laughs> under 10k like just make yourself a rule just gonna that play makes him. Harris happy <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah right like I mean last night he wasn't doing anything and on the second half mm. he came on and went for 50 plus because mm. you know he's he's awesome and like there's certain like if he's not being talked up anywhere he's you know if if, if Van Fleet's out he's obviously like all right 50 percent on Siakam the next night play him again at the same price at 10 percent because he's he'd go for 50 60 again mm. I just think there's plenty of opportunities and plenty of really good players. I think the on the salary scale, if you're talking like DraftKings, there's all people are always going to play the top studs like Giannis and Luca. People are always going to go hunt for value. People love to play stars and scrubs, but like the winning winning tournament lineups are are so much more balanced so often because you're nailing six and seven and eight K guys that are going six and seven X, 40, 50, 60 points. Um, that's been my experience. Like there's just always an overlooked kind of sweet spot. Um, where there's guys six to eight X who who don't have the same floor as a Luca or whoever, but they have similar ceilings, right? And you know, you can nail a seven or eight X play that goes for sixty and, and Luca only gets fifty five or, or Joker you know, Joker only gets fifty five. That's how you win. That's mm-hmm. how you win the tournaments. I like it. Yeah. Uh, go ahead, Harris. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, like, the overall theme that's really uh, coming across from all this is just watching of games. And I think one yeah. of the uh, one of the big things that I always find myself doing, just kind of a general thing, is again every every year there's certain teams that are clearly offensively superior. Like you're seeing the ratings that are coming through, you're seeing the pace they're playing at, you're seeing that. And I think those kind of become my league pass teams for the year alongside who I'm watching because that. I know that I'm going to be finding myself taking guys from that team just because there's just so much more opportunities being created. All those things that we're talking about, usage, pace of play, uh, the amount of possessions that are happening in games, there's all these things that are positively correlated to better DFS results. I mean, it's just the reality of it that offense beats defense in all of this. So I think from a, a general like viewership standpoint, you find the teams that you're finding yourself picking guys from and really make it a thing to watch those games. Cause that's where you'll get those opportunities to be able to, as you said, guys who may not have the same floor, but you know, they're going to get this opportunity because they, they did well. The coach is going to give them more minutes. Like all, all these kind of little things that come from being just a basketball fan leads itself into uh, being a good DFS player as well. So it's just kind of dedication to what you actually want to be good at. And it comes down to how deep in the rabbit hole you want to go. So yeah. you can pick a couple of teams and, uh, and make them kind of your, second or third following case in point with that i mean i was talking to my brother who plays dfs uh pretty regularly as well and uh you know we were talking about uh i think it was the thunder and it was the pelicans that were playing against the thunder and i was telling him about you know about how i was like you know look 
I'm attacking them down low. But I was trying to explain to him, and, and this is goes back to my point about, you know, you can't really just rely on the positional thing because, you know, I was like, well, they give up a lot of offensive rebounds to the opposition. They absolutely can't stop anybody down low. If somebody actually has, you know, post moves and can score in the low post or uh, can, you know, drive in that short range, um, there's just nobody that can stop anybody. There's no strength on that team. And so, you know, he was like, okay, so play, play Jonas Valanciunas. And I was like, no, I'm playing Zion Williamson. <laughs> yeah. I am playing Zion Williamson 100%. And he was, you know, he was highly owned that night. It was, it was chalk. Like there was, I was not being like crazy or or, yeah. or anything. Um, but you know, this is this is what I'm talking about when I'm saying, you know, and just the same thing with Horace's point. You know, watch these games, understand. Like you know, Zion was having just a, a killer, uh, you know, usage rate, having killer, just just going off and having incredible games without Brandon Ingram in the lineup. Uh, Brandon Ingram was out, and that's the kind of thing that you know, if you're watching these games, um, just look at the box scores is fine. But even better is to watch them and, and understand, you know, why why is something happening like this? So you yeah. know, with the Bulls, you know, Demar Derozan only scores nine points against the Toronto Raptors. Why did that happen? Because the Toronto Raptors were doubling him, and they had nobody else on the floor that that Demar could pass it to. So obviously, uh, didn't work the next game when Zach Levine was back. Sorry, Horace, but, uh, <laughs> but no. Uh, but you know, this is why. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> I want to jump in and just add something. All that because obviously not everybody can watch all the games. I don't know if everybody has League Pass. Yeah, a lot right. of us crazy people do. But um, if you even if you can't, like I have a, a list of beat writers that I follow on Twitter that yes. I have a public list. Um, and it starts with preseason because I'm a total like yes. crazy person who actually covers the preseason, played preseason DFS. I won a tournament uh, early this year. Nice. And it's like, it, I'm telling you, if you really get into it, like you follow these guys in the preseason and then all of a sudden guys are out and you're like, oh, it's, it's you know, Jovich is in for Miami. Like I remember in the preseason when he was amazing and then yeah, no one plays him because they're all mm-hmm. playing the other guys. And you follow these beat writers and you read what they have to say. A lot of them are really good, whether it's, uh, you know, the dude from Miami or, or the guy from Detroit, Rod Beer was really good for a long time. They're going to give you the little nuggets and little thing tidbits about so-and-so was in foul trouble. And more than you're going to get from a box score, if you aren't able to watch the games, follow the beat writers, read some articles, you know, like, like really dive into it. Like, follow, if, if, that's, if you want to be good at it, you're going to, like, consume as much information as you possibly can. Yeah, and there are a lot of people that you know may may not even be associated with specific teams. Like I'll look at Nikias, you know, uh, on Twitter, uh, that have you know they uh, will give you you know clips of games and they'll break down what they're seeing and what makes a, a player good against a specific defense or a specific yeah. team or in a specific situation. And that's that's gold for, for DFS because then you know that stuff. And then when that situation arises again, you can say, oh my gosh, I, I know what to do here. Uh, no one else does. And it's it's that's what you're trying to create in DFS. You're trying to create that asymmetrical, asymmetrical information to take advantage of everybody else. You're trying to beat the field. You're not playing against – no one's going to have a perfect score. You're not playing against, you know, uh, the entire NBA. Like, you're playing against other people that are having the same thought process as you are. So you have to beat those other people. I think that's the, the point that people miss often. And on that point, you know, one thing that I find um, that we haven't talked about yet that you can take advantage of, and this is kind of baked into the salary because the salary is, is also touched by this, but uh, public sentiment. Like, you know, I look at Russell, I like a guy like Russell Westbrook. Obviously, yes. You know, I, I'm not a big Russell Best Westbrook fan, but there are obviously certain game scenarios. Uh, you know, any, anytime Anthony Davis is out or LeBron James is out, obviously that's an obvious one. But other scenarios too, where you can look at Russell Westbrook and say, "Man, if he hits his ceiling in this game, nobody's going to roster him because they just all think he's garbage at basketball now for whatever reason." Uh, you know, if he has a couple of hot games, then people will start to roster him. But uh, you know, maybe he's had a streak of not so great games, and you you know that he's 
going to have a pretty decent game in this one. You know, he's playing against the Kinks, right? Like that's a that's a game that I would love to see have, have Russell Westbrook, and that's going to be an up and down game, no defense, going to be a lot of shots missed, a lot of long rebounds. Westbrook's going to get out in transition where he's perfectly fantastic. So, um, so you know. Public sentiment is another thing that I look at when I'm building, like, especially these GPP lineups, because I'm looking for, you know, uh, no one's going to roster Ky- Kyrie Irving because of the horrible things he's done off the court. I'm not condoning <laughs> those, not condoning those things right. at all. But, you know, uh, if he's the right salary, it's the right game environment, I will play him in DFS and try to win some money off of him, right? Am I am I crazy, Horace? <laughs> no, absolutely not. I was going to say, like, just to throw it out, how much do you guys actually look into the, the narrative side of things? Obviously, you've mentioned um, – things that come from public sentiment but things like revenge games things like going home they like all all those things how much of that do you you know how do you bake that in into kind of your uh, your decisions on a nightly basis i'll just say you shouldn't really much but um that we all are guilty of it because we're human people and we have favorite players and we have guys like we don't like and you know i don't like russell westbrook i don't like Kyrie irving Mm -hmm. but i i mean i'm gonna play them but I'm, it's usually like, you know, if I have to. <laughs> um, <laughs> I remember saying in our Discord the other night, like, someone was like, oh, Blake Griffin's, like, free and starting. And I was like, yeah, but he sucks now. Like, come yeah. on, it's Blake Griffin. And then he went, like, for yeah. 10X, 10x or whatever. I'm like, that was dumb. Why didn't I not look harder at what he's been doing? Like, they just dust him off every week and put him out there, and he and he, he still can play basketball, right? Yeah. Um, so I think public sentiment is important. I think revenge games in the NBA is, like, a – uh, not a real thing because yeah. every everyone's played for a bunch of teams and it's like they don't really care. But um, I don't know. I don't. I think so much of that is noisy. Home and road splits are noisy. There used to be like a Kemba Walker home and road splits thing for a while back in the day, and I never. I don't put too much stock into all that. Uh, some guys do more than others. Mm-hmm. I don't put a whole. I, I'd much rather rely on the numbers and the data. That's just kind of how I'm wired to build projections and things and not not just play narratives. But but at the same time, we're all we're all guilty of it, and, and it's sports, so it makes it fun too. So, yeah, I think from the narrative standpoint, like the biggest thing I can take away from that is um, people are gonna like you know, like Dan just said, people are gonna play the narrative. So really, it affects ownership. You know, it, and I can try to project maybe a little bump in ownership if like so Donovan Mitchell's going back to the New York Knicks, you know, or going back to New York and playing against the Knicks, you know, hometown was gonna get traded there. People are gonna be like, oh man, he, he went off in the last game they played. You know, oh man, he's gonna go off again. Like you know. Maybe, maybe he does, maybe he doesn't. I don't think that the fact that, you know, he's from there and was maybe traded there plays a whole lot of factors into how he plays in a basketball game. But I do think it plays a factor into the game that we're playing, which is DFS, where, you know, I think instead of a, you know, maybe instead of a 30% ownership, he has a 32, 33%, 34% ownership. So I do think that is important to keep in mind. But yeah, I don't think, I don't buy into that so much um, to answer your question, Horace. Uh, But how about you, man? Do you, do you buy into those narratives? Yeah. Uh, again, it comes back to one of those where I you try not to. There's certain yeah. times where it's just like, man, it, it, it's gonna happen. Like we, uh, as Raptor fans, we always had this uh, joke kind of going around that there's the Gerald Henderson Award about people who would always come and uh, be the ones that are gonna kill us on that night. It used to be Kemba Walker for a long time, and regardless of how uh, how badly he's been playing up until now, it's like. I, He's going to play the Raptors. I'm going to play Kemba Walker tonight. He's going to do it again. And then he hits a game winner. It's like, all right, fine. I'm going to have to do it again next time as well. So it's just, this is one of those things where uh, like you try not to, but I think there is to, to a certain extent, it comes, comes back to that intuition, knowing the game and just like some narratives to me are legitimate. And oh, yeah. yeah, you can throw this out a little bit of a, a little bit of a, you know, I guess I, that matters. But as you said, by and large, don't buy no. to any of them. It's just how I it is. Just, 
I don't blame you. And what pops in my mind as you're saying that, uh, Horace, is that I will play Luka Doncic anytime he's playing the Phoenix Suns or the LA Clippers. Oh. I feel like he's just going to destroy <laughs> those teams. I mean, it's always going to be a competitive game, so it's never a bad play. And obviously, mm-hmm. he's, he's a, you know, his floor is pretty safe. But, uh, yeah. but man, especially the Clippers, like he just – does like that's one player I think that emotions do play a part in this game. And, yeah. uh, you know, maybe call that a narrative. I don't know. It probably yeah. is, but I I buy into that narrative. <laughs> so I hear you agreeing with me, Dan. So that is one exception, right? Like Luca, I I made the mistake of betting the Suns the other night because I'm like, uh, oh, you know, <laughs> this is like yeah, the the Mavs have not played well. The Suns won like seven and eight. I'm looking at trends. I'm looking at data, and I'm like, yeah. I'm gonna dismiss the Luca narrative. I know he beat yeah. them, and then of course I'm like sitting there and they're down twenty in the first quarter. I'm like, what did? I, why would I? <laughs> Sometimes you kick yourself because you're like the numbers can tell the story, and then yeah. you know all the narrative people come out and say, "I've told you." <laughs> the, pro- the problem with narrative folks is their their confirmation bias is strong. They're only oh, going to yeah. point to the narratives that work. You're never they're never going to come on and say, "You know what? I played this guy and it didn't work." Like, yeah, they they hide after that. But um, obviously, narratives are a thing. They just yeah. shouldn't be. They shouldn't be like the first part of your process, right? It should be the last part of your process. Yeah. yeah. So I think we cover pretty much everything, guys. That's going to do it for us for our DFS strategy session number two. Dan, uh, I want to thank you so much for coming out with us, man. I appreciate yeah. you. So much good info. Um, you know, that Substack, I, I'm definitely, you know, I want to have everyone know where to go get that information because you have really quality data out there. So uh, where can everyone go get access to that Substack? Yeah, so just follow me at ThunderDanDFS on Twitter, and um, there's a link in my bio to it, and I sometimes will tweet some things out to it. There's, there's some free stuff. There's some paywall stuff. There's like some football stuff on there right now, still right now, because we're in football season. Just try to do a little bit of everything. When we get to baseball season, I do things like K props and things like that. So just uh, check it out. Try to do something for everybody. And uh, really appreciate the invite to come on, guys. It was a blast. Thanks. Yeah, absolutely. We love the man. And if you guys do want to follow me on Twitter, I am at BSBP Keith, at BSBP Keith. I got my hand in all kinds of cookie jars. Uh, I don't have a Substack yet, but maybe someday I will. <laughs> but uh, no, uh, but no, sportsethos.com is where you can go get uh, most of my uh, content there. And Horace, where can the good people find you and all your goodies? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Sports Ethos itself, uh, like I said, we continue to build it. We're working hard on getting as much quality content on there. As far as Twitter is concerned, at HAK underscore devil, where you can listen to me and my narratives for a little bit on there. But <laughs> yeah, no, I love it. I, I love how all about getting the kind of information we have. I really am glad we were able to get Dan on here as well. And it just all comes down to, you know, be as dedicated as you want to be to the uh, to the entire sport. Because to me, this is DFS is, is pretty much chess at this point. Now, as you said, you don't need to get 100% accuracy, but you do need to know who your opponents are, and that's really what it comes down to here. I hope I'm playing a lot of people that aren't GMs, but yeah, I, I agree with you there. Uh, all right, guys, and if wherever you're listening, please do go subscribe. Leave us a five-star review. Even if you hated what you heard, leave us a five-star review and tell us why. Uh, we always want you, We always value your feedback. I'm just kidding. Leave us whatever you want. But uh, until next time, guys, go get that money.